Hey, welcome to the very first edition of the Gig Life Podcast Spotlight Series. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. Welcome and thanks for being here. Now, the Spotlight Series is where me and my friends, we sit down and we talk about our favourite musicians, be it local, be it worldwide, musicians that have influenced us, inspired us and impacted us as musicians ourselves. Now, we talk about their careers, their music, legacy, we listen to some of the songs that they've played on and we analyse these songs the best way that we know how. Um, This is certainly not a new concept. We're not changing the game here. We're just hanging out, bouncing stories off each other, sharing information that the others may not have known, but in the process, hopefully adding to the legacy of these brilliant musicians. So the first cab off the rank, so to speak, is legendary American drummer Jeff Beccaro. Jeffrey Thomas Beccaro, born April 1st, 1954, Jeff Beccaro was an American drummer, songwriter and record producer. In a career that spanned more than 20 years, Beccaro was best known for his work with the band Toto, who had hits such as Africa, Rosanna, Hold the Line, Georgie Porgy. Beccaro was one of the most recorded session musicians in history, working on hundreds of albums and thousands of sessions through the 70s till the 90s, including Steely Dan, Seals and Croft, Boz Gags, Michael McDonald, Richard Marks, Madonna, Pink Floyd, Al Jarreau, George Benson, Randy Crawford, Michael Jackson, Leo Sayer, The Bee Gees, Chicago, Barbara Streisand, Don Henley, Eric Clapton, and of course many more. Now on August 5th, 1992, Jeff Beccaro tragically passed away. He was 38 years old. In 1993, he was posthumously inducted into the Modern Drummer Hall of Fame. Joining me today to talk about Jeff Picaro is Dave Ferry, Johnny Adams and Kerry Buchanan. For more information on these fantastic drummers, please check out the show notes and also as the three of them have previously been guests on the Gig Life podcast, you can go back and check out their past episodes. And we are also extremely honoured and lucky to be joined by the legendary American guitarist and producer Louis Shelton. Over the past several decades, you would have heard Louis Shelton's signature guitar riffs and solos on more hit records than any other session guitarist in history. The Wrecking Crew, The Monkees, Boz Skaggs, Lionel Richie, Glenn Campbell, Seals and Croft, and so much more. And did you know that Louis Shelton played with Jeff Beccaro on Boz Skaggs' Silk Degrees album? Yeah, pretty special stuff, and we, we talk about that a little bit here. Again, check the show notes for links to Louis' credits. Now, without further ado, please sit back and get comfortable. Um, I hope you have... As much fun listening to this as we did making it, as we put a spotlight on the late, great Jeff Beccaro. Cheers.
Well, I think we're rolling. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast Spotlight Series. And this first Spotlight episode is about a legendary LA drummer by the name of Jeff Beccaro. Um, now, this idea came about from talking to a bunch of people that I've, I've had on the podcast and it was kind of a – it just seemed like the right thing to do. These particular guys that I've got in the room with me today um, – we all talked about maybe doing an episode on Jeff Picaro and at the time it was kind of like a one-on-one type thing but we've actually got – we've got uh, five of us in the room today. So we're not actually in the room where three of us are in Sydney. We've got one on the Gold Coast and we've got one in New Zealand. So I'll go around and introduce the room. So to my left I have Johnny Adams. <laughs> it's an audio podcast, man. You need to, you need to talk, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the invite, Stevie. He's, no, good he's to be busy here. on his phone. He's on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> and next to Johnny is Dave Ferry. Hey, Stevie. Thanks for having me, mate. No worries, man. Now, all the way from Christchurch, New Zealand, where it's fucking cold, <laughs> is, is Kerry Buchanan. How are you, Kerry? I'm uh, very well. Honoured to be here. No worries. And we got a... We've got a special guest today, We're really honoured to have him here, um, a gentleman that played with Jeff a fair bit and actually actually was friends with him. So, Louis Shelton, how are you, sir? Welcome to the podcast and thanks for being here with us today. Thanks, Davey. Nice to be here. No worries. Now, what I thought would start with is go around the room and, and, um, and tell us your story about when you first heard about Jeff Bacaro or when you first heard him. Um, and, you know, sort of talk about maybe the feeling you got from that particular music or something like that. So, um, John, I'll start with you, man. You're, you're closest. Yeah, mate. Well, actually, on the on your bench here, I just noticed uh, the Starlix video, Jeff Beccaro. Uh, Guitar World Penrith would have been 19... I started in 93, so yeah. I was about 14, 15. And uh, I was just going into the shop to check things out, you know, gear, whatever, and um, picked up the video... With Jeff on it and took it home and I think over a period of years I damn near broke it from watching it so often and um, I just watched it and watched it and watched it and watched it and um, obviously and then at the same time I was nicking my CD's sister oh, my sister's CD collection to listen to things she had a pretty big CD collection and then uh, you'd open up the credits within some of the albums you know Die Straits or whatever and you'd see the name Jeff Picaro and, yeah. and then you could associate the sound with some of the some of the tracks and and then uh, just grew from there basically and then just um, buying Toto 4 right. uh, was probably the first album and um, you just it's just like this, you flooded with uh, beautiful drumming and, and, and um, this uh, unique style yeah. so I mean you, you can't miss it you know mm. So, so what, what drew you to the video in the first place? Oh, well, it was on the rack and, um, well, actually there was... Was it the hairdo or the glasses? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, right. But at the time there was there was a poster on the wall, uh, uh, Jeff Beccaro and Pearl, uh, uh, high up on the wall. And, um, Is then it the he's wearing the long trench coat? That, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. In fact, yeah, same colour drum set here. Yep. And, um, and then I saw the video and then I thought my... I just was just flooded, I suppose, by the visual thing because, yeah. you know, I didn't know anyone in the drumming scene when you're starting out, you know. Mm. And, um, yeah, so that was it. So it was probably the the poster on the wall and then 
the video and so I'll just go with this and yeah. hit gold. Awesome. That's so. cool. Dave? Um, <clears throat> I was about six years old. Um, my dad owned a music store. So um, at that time I was getting uh, drum lessons and not just my drum, like my drum teacher was right into Jeff Beccaro, um, but also all the other musicians that would come into dad's store would just, that was the, the talk at that time. It was probably 86, 87 and Toto was the, the band that all the, the musos were talking about and um, and I think, so I, I was right into him even then because it was, I was surprised how much I, I loved this guy's drumming and so I started becoming really passionate about drumming because of this guy and um, there was one holiday where I went, um, I think it was probably a four or five hour trip with, with dad and my brother and we had, I think it was a, um, it was a two tape set. I think it was Toto 1 and Toto 4. And so as soon as I got back from holidays, that was it. So, yeah, yeah awesome. Bought all the, the other albums. Yeah, and same with um, John too. Once, once I sort of got the bug for Jeff, then started looking at the back of all these albums. So, you know, 10 years old, going into record stores and looking at who was drumming and who was playing guitar. And mm. so, yeah, it kind of gave me that that knowledge of oh there's there's guys that play on all these different albums mm. my story before i go to you kerry and louis was it was 1992 and i was getting drum lessons from a guy you know kerry lance phillip and he used to come oh yeah he used yeah, to yeah, come yeah. up to my used to come up to my school from wellington up to masterton once a week to give me a drum lesson and he came to the lesson one day and he was really sad he was upset um depressed and I said, oh, man, what's what's wrong? And he said, oh, have you heard of Jeff Beccaro? And I said, no, I haven't. I'm sorry. And he goes, well, he just died today. Um, and then we started talking a little bit about him and he was telling me about – I said, do you know – he said, do you know Toto? And I said, yeah, no, I know Toto. I just don't know anybody in the band, you know. And he goes, man, you've got to go check this guy out. So from that moment on, it may have even been that day, I went to the local music store and brought Pastor Present. And that was the first album that I bought. And then it just sort of – it took off from there. I just yeah. tried to find as much music and, you know, got the Starlux video for Christmas one day. My brother brought me a set of the Regal Tip signature drumsticks, you know, because he actually thought they were actually Jeff Beccaro's own drumsticks. <laughs> <laughs> he was, you know, that was cool. And, that yeah, that's how it sort of rolled for me. So, yeah, right. Yeah, Kerry. Well, uh, just uh, on that day when Jeff died, actually, I was living in Brisbane and uh, Gordon Rittmeister rang me. I'd only met Gordon probably about a month or so before, maybe or maybe a couple of months. He was up at the jazz festival. So I was, it was the same day, um, the same thing. Like incredible sadness, you know, just knowing that he'd, he'd gone. I think I, I think I got in my car and I drove around with Mike McDonald's first record, <laughs> and I just kept playing "That's Why," and I keep forgetting over and over and over. <laughs> Um, but the, I think probably the first time I, when I think I talked about it on, on the podcast that I did with you a few months ago, um, my brother was probably, well, he's a bit older than me, so he was into Jeff before I was because I was a bit younger. It would definitely be Silk Screen. Um, that was probably the first thing that I looked at with Jeff Bacara and Louis' name on it, of course. And so I started to, when I started to go to record shops, I'd see Jeff Bacara because it was such a, an infectious sounding uh, way he played the drums. I would go to record shops, of course, and just buy anything that with his name on it. But as I got further and further on in life, I realized that I was actually listening to Jeff Beccaro even before that uh, on on things. Um, that's, that's how young he was doing 
you know, those sort of a, a sort of a class sort of session date. So, um, but it would be it would be silk degrees, I, I, I would say for sure. Louis. Well, I first met Jeff. Uh, I was doing the Campbell show, uh, the Glenn Campbell show. It was probably late 60s, early 70s. And Jeff's father was the uh, percussionist in the band. And David's father was the uh, arranger, Marty Page. Uh, so these guys grew up, you know, uh, with a great pedigree because I know in David's case, Marty was 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 the real uh, tyrant when it came to doing things right. You know, Marty was uh, a great arranger. We used him a lot on the Seals and Crofts stuff. And, you know, he did that great album, Ray Charles, with the uh, Born to Lose and those yeah. country stuff. He did the strings on that. Uh, and, and, and Marty, we had a, probably on Glenn's show, we probably had 15 strings. Uh, a full horn section. Tom Tom Scott was in the horn section and the rhythm section. And uh, Marty was a real perfectionist. Uh, he didn't bother me much because he just wanted me to play these, you know, little fills here and there. And but boy, if one of those horn players was, if they didn't tongue it when it was supposed to be, you know, or do the right dynamics, he. All right, guys, I don't care what you do down the street, but when you come in here, you know. So I'm sure that with David's education, he got a lot of that as far as making sure he got, you know, things right. And and then Jeff, growing up with his dad as a, as, as a world-class percussionist, and then, you know, his brother Steve and, and Mike, I, I don't know uh, – Anyway, they would come down after high school. They weren't playing yet. I mean, they were, they they weren't playing as professionals. They were still in high school, and uh, they would come down, and like they liked they loved the legit stuff and all of that. But they would come over where I was because I had like one of the first wah wah pedals and you know distortion boxes. So, uh, so I know I know that. Uh, in David's case, and I'm sure this rubbed off on Jeff as well. Uh, in addition to having all of this formal training and, 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 and great stuff that, that he learned, they still love the down to earth Leon Russell and oh. whoever it was, Elton John, or didn't matter, Led Zeppelin. So I met David and, and Jeff there. And, uh, I hadn't, uh, Steve Lukather wasn't in the picture yet, but I'm sure he was one of their classmates and they were doing stuff together at that point. And then, uh, a little time went by, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't have been that long, uh, just probably right out of school. Uh, they started doing the Sonny and Cher show. They became sort of the band for that. And, uh, I started using them on Seals and Crofts albums. Uh, Jeff, well, David played on Diamond Girl, but uh, I had uh, I had Jeff and David Page and David Hungate in the studio doing uh, Seals and Crofts albums, and and they actually went on the road with them as well. But an interesting story is we had this uh, our first little studio 
24 track studio, but it was a just a two car garage converted studio. And the drum booth was about the size of a, a vocal booth. It was a real sweat box. We stick Jeff in there and somehow, you know, he could barely get in there and squeeze around. And, but the, the funny thing about that story is we did this tune with Seals and Crofts. And this is real early days for Jeff. I mean, we probably had 20 years on them. You know, they were younger guys and we had been doing it since, you know, the 50s. And so we were doing this tune and Jeff was having trouble doing a shuffle. And <laughs> because it just wasn't, uh, you know, that, that was stuff we used to do in country bands and R&B back in the 50s and 60s. But now we're, you know, the stuff they had been listening to was not shuffles. And so it was, we had a bit of a frustrating time. And it was very frustrating for Jeff because he just had never done that. And David said that he went home and, and just practiced the crap out of that. And, of course, we all know now, he if you want to shuffle, <laughs> you know who to call, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so I continued producing, and and, and, and those guys uh, were doing whatever they were doing. Uh, they were working with me with Seals and Cross and all of that. And uh, then I had quit doing sessions because I was producing mainly Seals and Crofts and Art Garfunkel and people like that. But I get this call from David one day and uh, he said, yeah, we're producing this this guy from up in the Bay Area, Boss Gags, you know. And I said, I said yeah, well, I, I've heard of him, you know, but uh, he had never done much. So he said, you want to come do it with us? And still, uh, Steve Lukather wasn't in the picture yet, you know. Uh, I hadn't I had met Steve at this point. And uh, so we, we went in to do the, the uh, Silk Degrees album. And uh, by that time, these guys, their, their groove was just so, so deep and in the pocket that as a guitar player, you're just along for the ride because between... David Hungate, David uh, David Page, and Jeff McCarl, you know, it was just a, probably one of the most fun sessions I've ever done. Wow. And it, it was on that session that uh, David said, we're thinking about doing, you know, like a band thing. Would you be interested in, in doing it with us? I said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> because it'll, it'll I'll tell you way. why. <laughs> I, I I had done that with uh, Jim Gordon. Remember, Jim Gordon was another yeah, great yeah. drummer, and a couple of other guys. And it just turned out to be like uh, a jam session that never went anyplace. Right. So the missing thing that I didn't identify with is that David Page is a writer. So you were you actually had songs, oh. and I didn't know it at the time, but he actually co-wrote Lowdown. You know. Yeah. So um, it was it was on the back of that success with with Boss Gags and that album that Toto got their record deal and was signed and and the rest is history. Yeah. So, yeah. Now just talking about Silk Degrees, um, 
what we're also going to do here is yeah, play some tracks um, that Jeff have played that Jeff's played on, and we've sort of selected a couple of these tracks each. So I think um, if it's all right with you guys, we might play one of those Boz Gags tracks now that Louis played on. So if you play if you play Lowdown yep. uh, for people listening in stereo, there's two hi hats. Uh, one on the left and one on the right. Jeff That's over right. have a second hi hat. So. Is that right? I I, I read a, I read a um, sorry just to interrupt here. I I read a, uh, an article where I think it was Joe Wissett. He, was he the producer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Joe said to Jeff, um, "Hey man, would you want to go in and play the you know some double handed hi hats?" And Jeff said, "No man, you don't, you don't want to do that." <laughs> and he, he and he did. He he did, and then stuck it way on the left hand side or, or on the other side. So uh-huh. I always thought that it was sixteenth, and you know I thought well, that's weird, you know, because I never really thought he played two handed sixteenth like that. Then I happened to stand on one side of the room one day, and I heard eights on the hi hat, and I thought, ah, oh, that's an overdose. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's um, that's what happened. Yeah, right. Yeah. And is, is there two guitar players? Is it you and Fred? Attack it. Well, he wasn't there when we did the track. I did the I did all the leads. I don't know what Fred did on. I don't know if he played on that one. Okay. I don't think he did. He used, played on some other tunes. Right. I didn't play on all the tunes. I played on five tunes, and Fred Tackett played on some. And uh, I, I don't know. Who, yeah, I think someone. Yeah, right. I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd, I'd have to look at the credits, but uh, yeah. Oh. But I was the only guitar player there when we when I did my five tracks on on that and, album. And for the for the listeners, it's I mean I because I'm intrigued by this this shit. You tracked that live, didn't you? That was yeah, live. We, yeah, we all played it live, even my solo. I had one pedal, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, battery operated, no pedal board. So, so for the solo, I clicked on uh, a distortion pedal. And then I'd click it off to play the rhythm stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so we'll play that now. Here we go. Oh, true, the dirty Lord down. Yeah. 
I was listening, I've never listened to the guitar so hard on that track. Yeah. No, seriously, like it's, yeah. it's a very, very, very um, deep experience to be able yeah, to absolutely. flesh it out, talk about it and then listen to it yeah. together. Yeah. You know? Okay, well, let, let's talk about that solo then, Louis. So um, you said it was, you just had your, you know, your, the one pedal there, but was there any in, instruction did Boz come to you and say, oh, I'm... I'm... Nothing other than uh, uh, 
you know, play a solo here. We yeah. we just literally ran that tune down a couple of times and recorded it. Wow. You know? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, we recut that again with Boz uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, me and David Page and David Hungate went to, to Nashville because uh, a certain amount of time had, had gone by, uh, like 35 years or whatever, so Boz was able to re-record it, the same song and put it out uh, under his label or whatever it was because uh, Lido Shuffle and Lowdown were his big, biggest selling tunes on iTunes. So we went to Nashville and we re-recorded it just like the record. Of course, Jeff wasn't there. We used uh, Shannon Forrest, mm. uh, oh, a bad. Nashville drummer. Yeah. It's not, and, not a bad replacement. <laughs> really, really played it really well. Mm. Actually, he toured with Toto a bit yeah, too still later. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, we we recut those tunes. It was fun, right. Mm. Right. fun time in, mm. in Nashville. That way, Boz instead of getting two or three cents when it sold on iTunes, he'd get the whole. You know, yeah. How do you feel when you listen to that now, Louis? Well, uh, I'm really proud of that track, man, because it, it every it just sounds it sounds better all the time. You know what I mean? You just never get tired of it. Uh, but that whole album, you know, Harbor Lights, and uh, just, there were so many great tunes on that album. You know, it was just uh, one of the best albums I've ever played on. And that track, uh, and, did, yeah. Did you say that um, you all just sat there and, and worked on that? track together or was there so there was no real instruction no guide nothing it was just let's workshop it yeah yeah it was uh, uh i may have had a chord chart uh probably had a chord chart um uh, but yeah there wasn't i wasn't a lot to it you know it just it was so natural you know you got jeff sitting over there and david you know it's just how can you not play yeah you know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, right. and I just, uh, uh, for my part, uh, you know, uh, the song is kind of in like an E minor ninth to A six, but then when it goes to the solo, it goes to an F sharp minor. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I, I just tried to stretch it as far as I could to open it up for that little solo. As far as harmonically, something the notes are, uh, and and it just uh, whatever I played, it just seemed to work, and it led it back down into the E minor thing again. Yeah. But I didn't sit there and you know uh, headstorm it or anything. I just played it on the fly, and mm-hmm. so. And, and when you played it, when you played it, did you did everyone kind of know that was the the take? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Nobody said. Oh, I redo that solo again, you know. It's sort of like I would have probably wanted to redo it, but I'm sure they they said no. That's you know that's the way it was a lot of time, even with Lionel Richie. I'd say, hey, now I can do that better. He said, no, no, I like what you played on that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, can I'm, I can I can I ask a quick question? I uh, I just wrote it down because I uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a credit uh, geek. But that's Vanetta Fields, yeah. She's singing backgrounds on that, yeah. Yeah. 
I wasn't there, but yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she was. Yeah, and it was. Uh, was there? A, was it? I think there were a group of them at that time. I've, I've got, like I, like I said, uh, of credit geeks. It was like Shirley, uh, Shirley Matthews, and Clyde King. They did quite a few things together. And, yeah, and I think, but I think those three on there. I think they did some stupid endings as well. But uh huh. And uh, yeah, sorry, I didn't know. I just, um, I just remember reading that on the on the album credits. Back in, uh-huh. 19, back in 1979. When I you know, I did, I did a little instrumental version. It wasn't very good, on, but on one of my albums. And Veneto, living here on the Gold Coast, came over and did the, the ooze on it for oh, me. Oh, great. Man. Yeah. Great. We great. double-tracked her doing those. Yeah. Great. While we're on the... But I, I have to say, uh, I've heard the one we did in Nashville, and it's not as good as the original. You know, I mean, how could it be? You know, we're playing the same notes and all that, but uh, it ended up on Pro Tools, and the original was always analog, and yeah. it sounds better to me. I was just going to ask you though, if, if it, when I came to your studio one day, I asked you if you, I could see the Silk Grease uh, uh, records on the on your on your wall. And I said, how long did it take you to do that record? And I think you said like it was only about two or three days of tracking. Oh yeah, very very short time. I mean, <laughs> when you think of it like that, it's amazing. You know, uh, people spend you know so much time on things. You know, and to listen to something like that that sounds so fresh and and hip and all of it, and you cut that and you know, it's and, and and tight too. The, and the you, rhythm section, and, I'm sure. yeah, and you could compare that to Steely Dan, where they spend hours and hours and countless takes and takes and takes. Um, Month. I reckon if you got if you got Steely Dan playing that next to, and put it next to that track, oh man, wouldn't be much difference. I don't think. Just, <laughs> just nailed it, eh? It's good. Now while we're on the yeah. not while we're on the Silk Degrees, um, Louis, you also um, your other song selection today was Harbour Lights. So um, uh-huh. if you if you like, we'll uh, we'll play that one and then we'll have a bit of a chat about that one. I want to ask about that breakdown at the end. That's what I want to ask about. Okay, let me just dial that up so. Uh, well, before you play it, yep. I can tell you that that just happened on the spot. That That's what I, I was going to ask. I was going to ask that. Yeah, it was almost yeah. like a, so like a Ros- Rosanna that. outro type thing. Just, <laughs> just yeah. to, let's yeah, just go exactly. for a bit. Yeah. Let's take off. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Who's playing keys on this, by the way? That's David. Okay. David Page, yep. Yep. man. Yep. Shot in the night 
ticket and run away hard Sailor's dream came true The night I dreamed of you Through the neon doorways Down the stony streets I fell All hands high side, all eyes wrecked I Yeah. 
That's Chuck Finley, isn't it? What's that? On horns? Yeah. Possibly, yeah. That sounds yeah. like Chuck Finley to me. What sticks out for me with that track is the sound of the drums, the way the drums are tuned. Um, sounds like they're full of blankets or, you know, tea towels and and the reverb that's, that's on those drums, eh? It's kind of like... Did it sound, I think, did it sound like Jeff was playing brushes at the top there? That's what I, I, I always wondered about that. Because uh, it doesn't sound like doesn't sound like he was playing with sticks until later on. So, uh-huh. but um, yeah. I, well, I, I could hear some definitely the unless he was flipping the brush over and using the, might the have steel been end on the a blast stick or something. You know yeah, those right. yeah. rods? Yeah, might have been yeah. something like that. Did they have them back? And pushing it into the drum. Yeah, so. yeah right. In nineteen in nineteen seventy six, I don't know about that. Oh, he <laughs> might have had a homemade. Did he have, <laughs> yeah. have a homemade job? I don't know, but um, Joe might have made him something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's what sticks out for me is that the sound of the drums and you know he's got his 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 high rack tom that was tuned really tight, eh? And then that you know that floor tom tuned low, but just just dead. Yeah. But that, the, and, then, and then the reverb, you, and then the reverb on it as well, you know. I tell you another interesting Jeff Carl story. You may have heard it, but uh, we had this. Uh, with Susan Croft and myself, we, we built this really big studio out in the valley. And uh, I forget who, we're, who we were recording, and I don't even think I was producing it. But uh, you know how certain engineers, you know, you get in the studio and they'll say, let me hear your tom-tom, and, you know, you're going around, let me hear that other tom-tom. This went on so long one night that Jeff Ricardo's threw his sticks down and left and never came back. (laughs) (laughs) It just, it was just over the top. He just, Oh my God. You know, I've been doing this, you know, and finally he just said, you know, I'm out of here. I did that. Except I came back. (laughs) (laughs) You think, Oh shit, I'm going to get paid here. (laughs) Hey Louie, was that, was that, was that studio, the old Dawnbreaker? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Beautiful studio. Yeah. Lots of good records made there. Yeah. yeah. All those uh, Manhattan Transfer, Al Jarreau. Yeah. A lot of people. Jay yeah. Graydon used it a lot. He did too. For yeah. 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 But what, we, what we just listened to – oh, sorry, Stevie. No, no I was going to say, John, you're up. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the, what we just listened to, uh, the mix – is sensational. It's breathtaking. Yeah. Like, it's yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. everything's so clear. Yeah. Like and, and yeah. what who, balance? Who mixed, like? who mixed? Who mixed? Who mixed? Degrees. Do you remember, Louis? Oh God, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't. I, I, it could have been. Uh, oh, let's see. Uh, I can't even think of his name now. Sorry. Can, can I ask you? And I want to ask another question about this because um, it's always sort of. I've read lots of lots of things about Silk Degrees and talking. Um, uh, Steve Luca that talk. Uh, no, not Steve. What am I saying? Um, David Page talking about it, and uh, and lots of other sort of uh, uh, angles on it. I wondered if did Joe Whiskett produce, or was David pretty much in charge? David, I would say, was ninety nine point nine percent in charge. Right. Uh, as far as uh, any kind of creative production values. Um, sure. yeah. Joe showed up with a bowl of fruit. <laughs> 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 but yeah, that was, that. I gave, 
I, David should have had production credit on that. I yeah. always thought, yeah. Just one, right? Okay. One question from me, Louis. Um, just listening to that, even though Jeff's playing really sort of spacious, sort of, uh, you know, it's a it's a, a ballad. He just seems supremely confident when he plays, and everything he goes for is just even at a young age. That to me, I, I just hear confidence. Was he was he a really really confident? young guy or or is that just sort of once he stepped up to the throne he was confident or did it take a few goes or um can you tell us about sort of his frame of mind and what he was like i would say that uh by that time he was um uh very confident um because they had fed off of each other so much through those growing up years and they had listened to so you know to jazz and all the pop stuff and 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 knew that they 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 always talked of being a pocket player and 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 those guys together were you know the uh if there ever was a pocket player it was those guys working together and even the little bass things that you hear David Hungate doing in the fields, you know. Yeah, you can hear the bass sliding, purposely sliding yeah. up the fret, clearly going yeah. over every fret. Uh, every fret. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Jeff was very confident. Yeah, you'd have to say that. Yeah. Um, but uh, also, there was just a, a naturalness about it. Uh, there wasn't any, you know, thing weird about it. It's just, you know, this is it, you know. Yeah. And uh, because music, to me, uh, you have to get to a point where your subconscious is, is is working. It's not like you're thinking all the time about stuff, you know. It's just, you're just flowing with it. Yeah, uh, I always say if I had to think about what I was playing, I couldn't even play anything. You know, <laughs> yeah. it just I just go along for the ride and you know hit some notes. And, yeah. Uh, other than that early thing where Jeff had trouble with the shuffle, but he overcame that one pretty good, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, can, can I ask one more question about Skills and Cross? I, I don't want to. I don't want to hold the floor here. But did Jeff Beccaro play drums on Diamond Girl? No, that that was uh, Harvey Mason. Okay, because that's sort of. I see a lot of people say that he did play on that, but that's not him. No, uh, uh-uh, no. Uh, David played piano on it, but Jeff didn't play play uh, play uh, drums on it. Okay, it Harvey Mason. Okay. So going back to the but, going back to the who mixed it, it doesn't specifically say who mixed it, but it's got Joe Wissett production, Tom Perry en- was the engineer, um, and Doug Doug Sachs mastered it. That's what it's got here, as per yeah. all music and and um, the um, highly creditable Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't think of the engineers' names. There's a couple that it, it might have been, but I can't think of their names right now. Now, did so. did those guys? Um, yeah, I'm interested to. I mean, because you were talking about the pocket being actually those guys, and and people hired 
hired those particular guys to do the sessions. Now, were the producers and the artists also um, hiring the the engineers that had worked with those guys a lot, or was was that kind of depending on what studio you went to? Yeah, that that was never it, it was never related to what engineer or yep. they would yep. use. Uh, who was the guy that 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 produced their three steps down album or Boz's uh, three steps down album? Do you remember his name? Oh, uh, you mean you mean down to then left that record? Yeah, yeah. Uh, wasn't that Michael Michael Amadian was did he produce that or no was, uh, no no? Uh-uh. It was an engineer, and he that I oh, think Bill Snake. Bill Schnee, he yeah. might have mixed that. He might have mixed Slow Down. I don't know. Could have, yeah, right. But he was he was mainly an engineer at that point, and then right. he produced Boz's next album. Yeah, yeah. He was the one that he had this incredible collection of vintage microphones. Yeah, right. That he used yeah. on the drum kits and everything like that. Yeah. Could have been Bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what was some of the later? The latest stuff you worked on with Jeff, Louis? I uh, I don't remember anything other than the Seals and Crofts stuff mm-hmm. uh, because I was producing. I wasn't just doing sessions, so I didn't run on run on to him doing other sessions very much. Mm-hmm. But we had him come out and play on our sessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. how many albums was that? Oh, I don't remember. It was mainly Seals and Crofts. Yeah, yeah. They they were very big Seals and Crofts fans because uh, uh, there was a lot of uh, David really loved the Seals and Crofts stuff. I think that's what inspired uh, Africa because we had done a song yeah. with them called Sudan Village, and uh, uh, Jimmy Seals as a writer was just phenomenal. So musical and unique chord changes and all of that. You, you don't hear that so much in their hits like Summer Breeze and Diamond Girl, but the album cuts really had some unbelievably creative uh, chord structures and melodies. And David was a big fan of that. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's a big fan of theirs. Cool. Okay, well, we might did you tour? Did, sorry, sorry just one more question. Yeah, Can sure. I, if you mind? Sorry, oh, did you tour with them? With Seals and Crofts? Yeah. I didn't a lot, but I did uh, whenever they were doing a major gig, like if they were doing a, uh, I did the Hollywood Bowl with them, and they did uh, Carnegie Hall and some big places in Chicago. Right. And I'd go play with them on those things, but uh, I didn't. I didn't tour with them all the time. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I bought the record with, uh, so it might have even been, I might have been lying about Silk Degrees. It might have been actually the Seals and Cross record with, it had Standing on the Mountaintop. Uh-huh, yeah. And I loved, I loved that song. I uh, I would get, pick the needle up and then play it over and over and over again until <laughs> my father just, you know, was, he, both of my parents had enough and just said, please, no more. Uh-huh. And then we found out that they were coming. Uh-huh. And I, I put my hand up and I said, I want to go. So that was the first concert I ever saw. So oh, wow. I'm, I'm actually thinking and I, um, that I saw Seals and Cross, and I'm pretty sure it would have been Mike Takara playing bass. Yeah. And and it may have been Carlos Fager on drums, or I don't know who was playing drums around that time. Or it might have been, 
Ellis. Did Willie Ornelas play the? the Who was the, that? Willie Ornelas. You know Willie? I don't know that name. Uh-huh. I, I don't know who was playing drums, but but I I've been sort of looking through interviews and and thinking well, that was a I can't even think what year it was, but I've been thinking maybe it would have been around that time when Mike Picaro was playing um playing bass. But, uh, and I would I didn't know who else was in the band, but. Anyway, it was one of the best concerts I've ever I've ever heard. It was fantastic. Ralph Humphreys toured with him a bit too. Do you know Ralph Humphreys? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, but I don't know who would have been. They they went through several drummers, you know, <laughs> uh, with their tours, and yeah. Uh, so I don't know who would have been with him on that one. Jimmy Seals was a bit hard to work with. I've, I've sort of read with drummers. He was he was he was uh, unfortunately. Uh, and and it, I, I don't think it was the drummer's fault. I, uh, as his mood changed, his tempos changed, and he had blamed the drummer. <laughs> uh, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Any of you guys felt that before? Or? He really, he really pissed Jeff off. I'm telling you. I bet. You know. Uh, yeah, he he pissed Jeff off, <laughs> and, and and Jimmy is one of the nicest people in the world. But when he got on stage, it was like Jekyll and Hyde, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He just yeah. that's why he quit touring. It just drove him nuts, you know. <laughs> yeah, he just couldn't handle it, you know. They're great yeah. records. But I remember uh, on one occasion. Uh, Jimmy kept yelling back at Jeff, and Jeff was saying, "More money, more money." Wow, Stevie, uh, my battery's on red here on my computer. It's about to die on me. All right, and and I I need to go anyway. If you guys would excuse me, can I? Can I chime out at this point? Absolutely. Look, Louis, thank you so much for... Um, thank you for including me. Um, and, I, and if it's okay, um, if we could catch up some time down the track and maybe you and I do a one-on-one episode. Okay. Um, yeah. I'd really like that. That would be really cool. Great idea. And yeah. I just would just give a shout-out to Leon Gear as well because I contacted Leon a couple of weeks ago and said, oh, Leon, do you have any Jeff stories? And he goes... No, I never played with him, but there's this guy that you might want to get hold of, and uh, his name's Louis Shelton. So he gave me your number, and and, uh-huh. um, and here you are. So it's a it's a it's yeah. a real trip. Um, you know, you're a gem, man. Thank you so much for for being here with thank us today. You, and it was thank nice you, thank you, Thank you, It's an honour. Yeah. And uh, thank you. Nice to see you, Kerry. Nice to see you too, Louis. Okay. And, and I'll, I'll tell the Georgie Porgy story. So if if, you, yeah, if I get a phone call from you saying it's wrong, then uh, that's <laughs> all righty. Thanks, okay, everybody. Thank you, Thanks so Thanks much, man. Bye bye. Catch you later, mate. Okay. Bye. Bye bye now. See you, bud. Bye. All right. This next track is one that I selected, and um, yeah, like I was saying to you guys earlier, um, I've selected tracks that I think I've had on repeat the most often. So because there's so much, so much Jeff tracks to choose from. So mm. yeah. So this particular one is, is Lonely Talk by Michael McDonald and it's from an album called Take It to Heart. Um, Abe Laborio Sr. is on bass, Mike Landell on guitar. Um, it's just a song that, yeah, like I said, I've just hit on repeat and 
let's play it and then we'll have a chat about it at the end. What do you reckon? Oh. Mike Landau, man.
I'd often think about what he would sound like now if he was still here. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I would go, fuck, you know, what would it be? You know, I just have this imagination just has to try and run wild to kind of fill the void. Yeah. Uh, but um, it's, it's you know, it's something that... Uh, actually, I do ask myself quite a lot. I mean, what would it, what, what would it be sounding like if it was still here? You know? Yeah, yeah. It's I, kind of sad, but... Um, yeah, it is. But um, the greatness, you know. Yeah. See, the, the things that... The, the things about that track that get me, one is the hi hat, mm-hmm. not not just the what he's playing, but the sound of the hats, the the use of the open, yeah, the use of not using the crash, yeah. You would have heard a few sections there where he's playing sort of half time, and then he goes into back into into full time, but he doesn't accent that change with the crash. He just keeps playing, and you kind of it gives you this anticipation, but then, oh. You know, the crash is not there, and it's. I think that's really cool. And then there's the signature. Yeah. That that battle. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the left right the symbol left, thing. The left right yeah, with yeah. one with one kick. Bit. Yeah. He had two up here, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah high. Yeah, yeah, he used to play him high, didn't he? Yeah. The left usually didn't have a, a kick on it, and then yeah, then that's was, right. Yeah. And then the right. So it just gave you this kind of the swirling symbol. Yeah. Sound, didn't it? One would blend into the other. That's right. Big yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the other parts of that song is. Is Abe Laborio's bass playing, and then towards that last uh, chorus, mm. Mike Lando oh. starts ripping in, starts playing some vibrato chords. He's amazing, yeah. Fuck, yeah. So that, yeah, they're the things of that song that get me mm. every time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. funny on that on that <laughs> yeah. on that hi hat foot thing that you're talking mm. about. Just how he how he. And it, it's it's almost different in like he he's so good at it and he can put it in anywhere. But I noticed on that one he was almost setting up that that big um, backbeat with the yeah yeah that's right. And, yeah, and yeah. It, sometimes he does it. And we were talking about with with that that kick pattern that he always does that that almost heartbeat. Dotted sixteenth for the one yeah yeah he can but he can he can. Dotted sixteenth for the one yeah yeah but he can almost shuffle any or not shuffle but swing any type of groove yeah with any yeah. limb. Yeah. Yeah, At any time, that's right. Yeah, he can make the straightest thing yeah. sound just, just so yeah. you know, so sleazy. Yeah, and there, there's it was a different time though, wasn't it? Because uh, I was just coming up at it from um, a recording aspect. Because he lived in that time where, where um, uh, well, the songs were stronger. So, um, mm. well, there was such a thing as songwriting. It's a little bit cha- uh, different now. It's certainly changed. But uh, producers didn't sort of question it so much. Uh, whereas if you know if, if either four of us went into a, into a session and played something like that, they'd probably freak out and go, "What the hell are you doing? You can't be doing that." You know. But whereas um, back then there were it was there was a there was a, definitely a camaraderie, but also, also a sort of a, um, a, a they they trusted each other to to know that when Jeff walked into the room and said, "Well, that's the take," that they, you know you sit up and pay attention, and yeah. so. Whether he played any of those little nuances that you've talked about, it's sort of that, that, that they become part of the song. So he knows that, you know, because I, I, I think David Page nailed it in, a, in an interview where he said that Jeff wasn't really a drummer, he was a songwriter. He yeah, played yeah. the drums. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. And all those tiny little things that you were talking about, I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. hitting the crash before, the, you know, and then nailing on the one and those sorts of things. And without that, it wouldn't have made any. Well, I mean, it would have, but yeah. that made that song, you know. Yeah, and for sure. So producers yeah, yeah. would sit there. That was Don Was. I think Don, oh, Don right. Was produced that. And, you know, right. he's a great producer. He would have just sat there and said, well, that's it, you know, because 
you can't get much better than that, you know. Mm. You know, yeah. the way Jeff played on, you know, on, in Indian, but on that song in particular, it sounds like there's no structure to it drummistically. He was actually just playing. Like, just playing, he's probably, yeah. That's it. It probably sounds like it's two, two or three rehearsals. Let's put one down. Let's, yeah. And that's it. And yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. fresh. And because I can see you, Stevie, from here, and you're you're air drumming the things because oh. you can, <laughs> you can, but you can feel that you know the energy from it, and it's, yeah, totally. And it's not from it's not from spending hours and hours and hours and hours on it. It's it's from just playing it down once or twice and then recording it. Yeah. And those are the things that, that even the the people that are listening to it who aren't necessarily just the car fans, the subconscious kicks in and they go, they know that that's a great drum track and that's the reason yeah. the song sounds so mm. so great. You know. Yep. I, yeah, I just think the relationship between Jeff and Abe Laborio in that song is just oh, yeah. killer because if you yeah. really go back and listen to it again and listen to what the bass is playing and, like, he, he's playing sort of solid but he puts these little pops in there. Yeah. yeah. But they're not they're not in the way. Jeff's left them space. Yeah. They, yeah. They're just there. Like, like, you know, this may be why he didn't set up that crash because he knew yeah. that Abe was going to come in with a little yeah. pop or, yeah. you know, it's just. Yeah, yeah, but yet it doesn't sound rehearsed. No, not at all. No, no. But the song definitely, yeah, yeah, the song definitely ramps up because, like I was just saying, when Mike Landau hits that last chorus, Mm. it's like he turns up and he starts playing some vibrato on those power chords. You know, you just feel that fucking energy. You know, but I find that with with uh, you know listening to Picaro. He he has that ability just to you can just hear hear him dialing in the um, as Kerry was saying he's he's thinking of the whole the whole song yeah. from from the start it's like and and not just in the dynamics but also in in the fills like even you know songs like um, Africa where you can hear it. There's a, there's a real continuity in the fills where he plays a really long one and then it gets it actually gets yeah. sort of shorter in the in yeah, the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same yeah. with um, I was listening to um, yeah the um, stop loving you today. That's what I sort of spoke about that a bit with um, his use of fills, like his his phrasing. But but then when he hits, there's a fill at the end, and you think. Man, you've been holding out on us like that. <laughs> like, yeah. like you save that best yeah, one yeah. till last. Yeah, and, yeah. and this, and, and even down to even down to his, you know, his high hat dynamics. He'll he'll set it up with a you know with a certain pattern, but then the next time around, it's different, and it's almost like he's you. Um, like if you listen to yourself back play um, play back on say a record, and you think, "Geez, I'm sick of that thing that I'm doing." I never hear that with Jeff. He's always sort of just tweaked something where you go, "Yeah." Oh, I've I've never heard a note that he's played where I thought, oh, geez, I'm sick of him yeah. hitting that. Yeah. I, I wish he didn't play that one or or lift that high yeah, hat yeah, there. Yeah. It's always he's always just tweaking it and keeping you interested the whole time. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And and and, yeah. and 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 if you listen to him being uh, actually being interviewed or talk talking, that's him. Yes, yeah. and that's his personality on the drums. It's exactly yeah. the same thing. You know, he's very you can't help it because he had a you know deep voice and and you just it just captured you. You just wanted to hear more. You know, and that's mm. the, the yeah. way. He's, yeah. Um, you're just talking about I Can't Stop Loving You. So we'll talk a little bit about that song now. Yeah. Um, the thing that really gets me with that song is, you know, it's got the intro. Dun, dun, yeah. And then it kind of stops and then he comes in with the poof, the cut. To me, it's almost like he's trying to replicate a hi-hat delay with what he's playing. 
because he goes doom to cut and it kind of the dynamic comes down. Oh man, blows me away every time I hear it. Yeah. Yeah. We did that. We did that with the beat goes on actually. Oh right, a few times. Right. Yeah, I wrote awesome. a chart out for it. It was and it was really great because yeah. I got to do that thing. I had those drum thing in the middle. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it's another thing about jazz. You know, when you play anything like you, you play low down, you, I think we were all air drumming that while yeah. listening. <laughs> yeah, and you can't help but go. You know, when it comes back in after the guitar solo, and but but you can't help but not. You have to play that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. It's part of the song, what I was just saying before, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and the same thing with the drum sort of stuff. I mean, you know, you, yeah, you should be able to stretch out and do whatever you like. You feel like you're ob- obliged to play what he played because it's so fucking great. Exactly. I got, I got exactly. pulled up on that once. I was, doing, I was right. fortunate enough to do a, a Boz Cake show with uh, Mark Costa and, and a whole bunch of other great musicians and Lou Perryman. And wow. And... Um, uh, actually, it was Dave Plenty was doing. It was another half of another show, and uh, was it um, those two guys, Paul and Oates? And then there was a Boz Gags. I was lucky enough to get the Boz Gag lot set. Anyway, um, uh, we went to do that tune and uh, in rehearsal, and then I just did what you know. I just started the tune off, and then Mark stopped everyone and said, "You know, what's on the record?" And I went, "Yeah, yeah you know that that classic feel that does. Yeah, we'll do that. You know, so." <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, uh, I should have been paying more respect, you know. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah there's like you say, there's, there's things you just you've got to do, yeah, because of what how it was put down in the first place by someone like that. Yeah, you know, you can't go, you know, you can't go, you know, you can't do anything else but that. But that, yeah, it doesn't work. Oh, it does, but I mean, it feels better if you just. It's like it's tattooed on the song, on the, on the song, yeah, exactly, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But the, 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 oh, sorry, you go. You know, you go so back. I just say, it's like Rosanna, imagine, I don't think you could imagine starting Rosanna any other way. You yeah. might come up with a different sticking, but you'd have to yeah. do that. You know, so, um, yeah. 
But on that though, um, I was thinking, I was actually thinking today, if I was hired to go down and put one of those tracks down, it'd come out totally different because like just his, and, and like he was so creative and the, the amount of work he did, you'd think that at some point he might've been a bit cookie cutter, but he wasn't like it just, it was always, it was always fresh. It it seemed to be that maybe there was a lot of stuff. You might've heard stuff, Kerry, that, that was, um, you think, oh, he wasn't at his best, but um, for me, I just think, how in the hell did he come up with with that there? Like, I, I just, you know, and mm. this, and the, and everything he did though still sounded like him. Like it was mm. like, oh yeah, that's a Jeff thing, but it's he's he's changed it a bit where I haven't heard that him do it that way before. Yeah, I was listening to Girl Is Mine today, Michael Jackson, Paul McCartney. It's it, it, he puts that. In quite a few spot, quite a few spots, it's fucking perfect. <laughs> you couldn't think of playing anything else there, eh? Yeah. So, yeah. So I was saying in the back, we're talking about swinging things. Well, um, yeah, that's, I reckon that's he can there. swing eighth notes. Swing eighth might, notes, yeah. Yeah, but um, like delaying the second eighth note, yeah, and and accenting a little bit and pushing it into the following. Yeah, yeah that's right. Note. And then, um, uh, but but the uh, oh, fuck, I've forgotten what I was going to say now. Anyway, so we'll just go to a sponsor. Little, <laughs> this was brought to you by Domino's. Just before you go to the other, well, no, no, get, go on. Oh, sorry, John, no. Yeah, Gordo said it? something. Yeah. Gordon Ritmeister said, "Oh, there's something." We're talking about the, the the some of the turnarounds in the song we just listened to, and uh, you notice how there's a certain amount of intensity behind a wall. Um, I remember Gordo saying he grew, Jeff grooves uh, at the same intensity as the turnarounds. When I say turnaround, I'm talking about drum fill. So yeah, you know, yeah. um, it's it's like this uh, uniform sort of. In, uh, Attack, if you want to call it, or, yep. or a timbre and, and and intensity. So, it, like, if you get to a turnaround, the intensity doesn't drop off. It sort of stays at the same intensity, or may even go up a gear. You know? yep. So, yep. Yeah, I always cool. I always look refer to it, he plays through it. He plays through the fills yeah. the yeah, whole yeah. time. It's not like he sort of. It's like oh, there's that section of, of yeah. drumming over. Yeah. I'll put the fill in, then I'll come back with. It's he just plays through the whole lot all yeah. the time. Yeah. 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 Oh, actually, that's the other. Thing. Yeah, not many drummers can. You, you, they can swing up top. They can't swing. The kick drum, yeah. all three, and uh, that's one thing. And obviously, Vinny is obviously very good yeah. at that as well. But uh, Jeff is able to because there's a pedal in the way, big uh, an object, a serious object between you and the drum head. So, um, uh, you know, being able to swing the bass drum with the tops, like the snare and the, or the hands, what the hands are doing, I think is uh, quite a classic thing quite with Jeff because it's just there, yeah. yeah, especially in the bass drum. I think you know, so makes it roll along. Yeah. So. I think if Jeff was sitting here right now as we're sort of articulating all these things about, he'd just look at look at all four of us and he'd say what I said to John Goodman, which was, I don't know what the fuck you're, you're talking, talking about. about. <laughs> I just played, because he man. just does it, you know, he just yeah. plays it, you know, so yeah. you don't have to use that word. <laughs> but, you know, he just, he just plays it, That's, you know, and, and uh, uh, he, I, I've, I've spoken to a, guy, a couple of guys. Can I tell a couple of stories? Is yeah, that all right? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 your little red light's on, mate. You've got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, did a, I did a record this is ages ago for a guy uh, actually with Security Carnival. She was a, I thought she's an opera singer here in New Zealand. Yep. And Jeremy Lovick was the uh, was producer, and he was the right hand man for David Foster back then. This is he was the string arranger, and you know he would have worked with Louis for sure. And at the end of the session, I knew he'd work with Jeff because he'd play on he'd worked on some Giro records, and he worked on Manhattan Transfer. We're sitting in the in the lobby bar, and I said. Tell me some stories, man. And uh, you know, before he 
back for his flight. And he said, what do you want to know? And I said, well, what's it like working with John Robinson? He said, well, you know, he's great. And he comes in and he tells you, you know, but it's great. And then he walks out. You know, and I go, okay. And I said, what's it like working with Carlos Vega? And he said, he's great. You know, you can get him to do many takes and whatnot. He's, he's wonderful. You're a lovely person. What about Jeff Bacara? And he said, well, I worked with Jeff quite a few times. But the one particular time he said, I was working on a record for um, the uh, movie, uh, what's it called? Um, Dick Tracy. Oh, yes. Jeff got called to come in and play drums on Hanky Panky. And it was a drum machine. So Madonna was there and Warren Beatty, they were going out. So he's picturing this, he's sort of painting this whole picture for her, you know. So he said, they're sitting behind us. Patrick Leonard's producing as an engineer there. And he said, I'd, I'd done the big band arrangement. That had all been put down to a drum machine. And he came in to play the stabs. Okay, so the, you know, just that's it, that piece of it. So it was Cartage. He walks in. Doesn't say anything to anybody. Walks in through the, the studio door, so he doesn't actually come into the control room. Sits down behind the drum, and then looks into the room, and everyone sort of goes, you know, they put their hands up and says, "Hey, how are you going?" And he just thumbs up and he does the roll tape thing with his hand, and they roll tape, and he runs it through once, and then Patrick Leonard or someone said, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds good, man. So, should we have a go?" And he just thumbs up again, and he played it down in one take, and then once it finished, he's looked up and he put thumbs up to say, is that all right? <laughs> and they went thumbs up and he picked up his stick back and walked out. Right. <laughs> he, just, didn't say, he didn't say hello to anybody. He just right. sort of came in. Well, there's <laughs> the... just, it was amazing. The, the, the guy was just like, he was sort of an enigma, like a, a session superstar. Mm. But, but, but he just came in and played it. There was nothing wrong with it, so we weren't going to question it. It was amazing. And he, and he said to me, I said, you work with all the Toto guys? He said, yeah, but yeah. You can't have three Toto goes in a session, man. And I said, why is that? He said, because if you've got Steve Luke at the Dave Page and and, 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 Mark, and Jeff Picaro in the room, you're fucked. He said, you, you can't get anything done because they'll just bulldoze you. But if you have got if you take one out of the equation, it's fine. So if you didn't have Steve Luke at there, it was just David and Jeff, you're fine. But as soon as you get three of them there, it was like, oh. It's Toto. <laughs> it was too hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's a Toto record. You know? Yeah. <laughs> There's that confidence yeah. that we was talking about, perhaps, you know, with just walking in and, and, and doing it and walking out. So I read something today, um, <clears throat> and I think it was his 1983 cover interview. I probably stand to be corrected there, but he struggled with, the, with that whole concept of him being this perceived superstar session guy. And he would walk into these studios and these people would treat him different. He just couldn't get his head around that, eh? He's like, man, no, I'm just... I'm just Jeff Picaro, man. Come to do your track, you know. So that that was mm. interesting. He, he became me. Yeah, he became the studio superstar, didn't he? And um, he did, yeah. and people yeah. that would hire well, all him. All of those, all yeah. of those guys did, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm. I get John Robinson and and um, Steve Gadd and, and and all the guitar players, and you know, there was there was different superstars for sure. Yeah. But it was different times. It was record company times, and mm. it's funny. Plenty of you know. Sorry, Gary, but I was going to say I'll even even in his even in the mix that they gave. Jeff, you listen to all those albums that Jeff did. He's up more in the mix than most drummers are. Like it's almost yeah. like even the engineers have gone. <laughs> you, just listen, you just listen to Lonely Talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's <laughs> drums with a bit of a company company guitar and and uh, I think Michael McDonald's in there somewhere, isn't he? Yeah. But you know, <laughs> but on on, on yeah. that though, is yeah. is that sort of like is that like a Jeff? That's what I've always wondered though. Is that like a Jeff personality thing where they go, oh man, if I don't put him up, he's going to have the shits? Or is it just like a real homage thing where how could you not put this groove up? Like, do you know what 
I don't know. Uh, maybe or, or are they hiring? Maybe, they're hiring for that possibly. Maybe it's, maybe it's part of the song, you know. It's just mm. because he's his his um everything that he played. I mean, when you asked before, you said you know maybe I've heard some things that Jeff wasn't so great on. I haven't heard one thing <laughs> that, that uh, nothing. Yeah, I can certainly say a lot about myself, but I can't say anything about Jeff Carr. And I've got some really early stuff with Paul Simon too, and. Uh, and the Sarah Vaughan track that we might play later on, and, yeah. and Tom Scott and things, and I can't hear anything, anything in it that I go, oh, that sounds a bit off. You know, not that I'd be thinking like that anyway. It's just, a, it's yeah. just amazing song drumming or tune drumming. It just, it, it just works. There's nothing, there's nothing odd about it. There's nothing. It, it, it certainly makes me feel like. Uh, you know, I don't ever dance at all. But if I want to dance, I want to dance with Jeff Bacaro track because it just makes you feel like that. You know, I'm gonna sit, gonna set up a GoFundMe campaign. Watch Kerry dance to Jeff Bacaro. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna do it. Yeah. You know, it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we might cool. have to wind this friendship up, Steve. If you're <laughs> <gonna go anymore. laughs> no, no, no. But yeah, no. He, he was such a you know such a, a great song drummer. You know? Well, and also he got hired. The, obviously, there's evidence. I mean, how many people hired him and kept hiring him, and mm. thousands. Of, I mean, there's an actual Spotify playlist, Jeff Bacaro Spotify yeah, playlist. Well, it's it's got a, over a thousand tunes, and I actually think there's a couple of tunes that aren't him on it that I've. Um, but anyway, the bulk of it is um, you have to say ninety point nine point nine percent is him, and there's over a thousand tunes on there. So that's that's there's got to be more than that anyway. So oh, yeah. and these things, I mean, they're like. The number one album, not that it's number one album is important, but they're just like, like Gordo said once, remember him and Steve Evans were having a chat and he said, just to play on one of those albums, just one, what would you give, you know, yeah. to, just to get on one of them. So, and it's just a mountain of material. I mean, you know. But um, back then, you know, if you played on one of those tracks, then because it was, it was a totally different type of recording, if you played on one of those things, like you played on the Steve Dan session, and that went to record. That went to LP. Man, you know that phone just kept ringing all yeah, the time. Yeah. So, mm, you know, mm. you play on a Michael Jackson record. You know, you're going to be employed for the next you know, nine yeah. or ten years. Yeah. You know, one song to me personally, because um, I, I just pulled up. I've got an Apple, an Apple There's music Hanky there. Yeah. yeah that, well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to talk about Hanky Peggy. I'm going to talk about Like a Prayer. Oh, um, Because yeah. I know oh, he played. Yeah. yeah, I know he played on that. But that's one song to me. Sounds like. I don't think Jeff was in charge that day because if you listen to that tr- the track and what he's played, it almost sounds like the producer's gone, I want you to play this because okay. it's very it's very monotonous. Yeah. The same feel all the way around. Um, not saying he plays bad on it because he definitely doesn't, but that's certainly goes against what we were just talking about before, how Jeff sort of owns all those tracks. I don't believe he does in that one. I think it's... Mm-hmm. Probably the artist. The artist is, is. yeah. And who's, who, I, I, who I, is she anyway? I messaged, Fucking, guy, who's I messaged Madonna? guy when I first got on Facebook. His name's uh, Jeffrey Weaver. And he's, he's a producer. He's, he's still around, actually, in L.A. And I first heard Jeffrey, uh, he did an album for a guy called um, David Benoit. It was never the first track that I sent you. Yep. It was 3-4. It was That's Jeff. Jeff produced that. And I sent Jeff a message one day when I first got on Facebook. I thought, wow, Jeffrey Weaver. So I sent him a nice little message that said, I love that record that you did with Jeff Bacara and, and, um, and I love that sound of the record, et cetera, et cetera. And he replied to me and just said, you know, uh, you know, I asked him how Jeff was to work with. He said, Jeff, is, Jeff suffered no fools at all. H- hence the, 
of Ricky Lee Jones. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. That was a big story. And, you know, he didn't, you know, he wasn't going to take any of that shit. Um, oh, what's that story? If, Can you tell that you, story in a second? Sorry, Kerry. If he, um, if he, if he trusted the producer, uh, basically, this is what he was saying. If you trusted the guy who was saying, look, this is what we tr- want to try and achieve here. We want to try and do this. It's going to radio. We want to have something that's going to be more, uh, it's not going to be so free to, to sort of play and do things. He was fine with it, but it just depended on how the guy would say it, you know. And this is what he, basically in a couple of paragraphs that he was saying, you know. So I think maybe with that track in particular, you know, um, Patrick Leonard, who's a really great, great producer, he would have just probably said, you know, in his nice tone, you know, look, we're, we're going to try and achieve this. And he would have just done it. He wouldn't have, mm. you know, objected at all, I, I guess. Right. Yeah. Oh, can you tell me the Ricky Lee Jones story? <laughs> okay, it's a long one, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay, another podcast? <laughs> but, well, I think, I think the bottom line is she gave him an extremely difficult time unnecessarily. Would that be uh, – yeah. and he walked out. He actually, yeah. He broke oh, his right. drum. He walked out. He, the heads on the drums broke because he got into such a state um, of adrenaline and so forth. Um uh, that the, he, I remember reading that the, the heads broke, and when the heads broke, he put his sticks down and just walked out and said, "I'm not taking this anymore." So, I, I encourage you if you haven't heard it, is to go to Robin Flan's website. Ah, oh, the modern drummer. That, that, yeah, that's the lady that, mm. she, and I always thought it was a guy. You know, yeah, terrible. I did too. Yeah, and, so. and I was just a lady, and she 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 actually did those interviews, and I've got that interview yeah. on iTunes. Oh. And him talking. Oh, for the magazine, yeah. and you can hear him. You can hear him sort of winding up because he could feel it again yeah. how how bad she was treating him on the day, and yeah. and then when you finally get to that, he stabbed the drums and drums of drumsticks are sort of wobbling in the in the floor time, and yeah. he picked up his stick back and fucked off, yeah, just yeah. walked out. Yeah, yeah. And you know, but when you when you hear the whole story and what she what she did was you know it's pretty much called for, but yeah. and I think she just had, she just had a bad day, but, you yeah. know. Because there's over a period uh, yeah. of sorry, yeah, it was over a period of hours, I think, wasn't it? It, it kind of it was. It, I think it was over about five, five or six hours, you know. Okay. But I think they had two weeks of sessions, so right. it was like they had they were doing that pirates record, yeah. and so there was a long time there, sort of. And yeah. then all of a sudden, within six hours, he walked out. <laughs> so that was the end yeah. of it. You know? yeah. and, uh, people yeah. calling him to say, you know, you'll never work in this town again. But, um, that's <laughs> I heard they had lawyers going to sue him or something for walking out or, or yeah, something. Yeah, they're going to sue him. Yeah, they're yeah. They're going to, yeah. But, <laughs> it never, it never happened. Mm, but. All right, let's listen to another track. Now, um, Kerry, let's listen to one of yours. Um, do talk for a second well, while I. I was going to, I was going to suggest doing playing that Sarah Vaughan thing that. Yep. Louis played on, but he doesn't remember, and I don't know whether he did play on it. So okay. it's got his name in the credit. Okay. So maybe we'll play that other one because it's an instrumental thing, and uh, and I've got a look. There's a bit of a story about that about Vinnie Colita because he was actually at that session. Sure. Oh, really? Right. Is that the yeah, Milky Way the Modern one? Drummer magazine. No, right. Right. heading home. Oh, heading home. Yep. Mm. Okay. Can you? So, yeah. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about the track before we before we kick it off, kids? My my brother actually introduced me to Tom Scott. And the LA Express because I first heard LA Express with um, Joni Mitchell, and then my dad was playing uh, around Christchurch here back then with a few local jazz rock groups. And Tom Scott was pretty—he was sort of like the new, uh, the new sound on the saxophone. There was there was a few guys: Phil Woods, uh, uh, David Sanborn, Michael Brecker, of course. Um, and Tom Scott had a, a band called the LA Express. When, when he broke with the LA Express, um, he started a solo career. And this is one of the first records that he did, and it's got 
it's credited as Jeff Bacara on the whole thing, but it's not. It's that, I've got the, the record somewhere, and it's Rick, Rick Marotta plays on a few things as well. But this particular track caught me because, uh, as we were talking uh, before, that when, when Jeff gets to a middle section and you feel the whole thing, like no one was, no one, no one fought with Jeff's time. Everyone went with Jeff's time. So Jeff, I mean, sure, that they're layering, so maybe they might have dropped in a few things, but it, and that's that's okay. But it sounds like everyone, when when it got to that middle section, which you'll hear, and Jeff sits right back on the groove, and everyone sits back, and it just feels like everyone takes a like a sip out of a nice cold drink, and then <laughs> and they get back to the next section, that's and cool. and everyone's back into it again. It's just um, it's amazing. I, I, just the way he plays, uh, uh, and it's classic Jeff, but it's 1978, so it's He's pretty young. Uh, well, this time, yeah, I think he's, I think he was 23 when he did Toto 4. So he would have been 17, 18 years old, you know. So, you know, when I think, think he'd be playing like that at that age and so mature and everything he played was, um, you know, and, and he was in a, a room full of heavyweights too, you know, like big time LA session guys. And he's a sort of young 17, 18 year old guy playing like that. So it's just a great groove and, and check out that chorus part. You'll hear it coming.
<laughs> Man, the fact that he's only 17, 18, fuck. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing incredible, think, yeah. yeah. I, I read a, I read a, an article in uh, in a drum magazine, and I, it was on Vinny. I don't know whether it was actually a thing on uh, him himself. It might have been something else. But he said that when he first got to Los Angeles, he'd, he'd gone to um, Berkeley School with Neil Steubenhaus, and he's playing bass on that. And Neil said, I'll come along, I'll come along to a session, come and meet Jeff. And and I sort of put two and two together. He said it was with Tom Scott and it was around the same year and uh, Neil was playing bass and uh, and there was another guy, Carlos Rios, was playing guitar. And so he's playing guitar on that. And so I thought that must be the same record. And uh, Jeff walked out and, and said hello to Vinny. I don't know whether they'd met each other or, or they actually knew each other. And um, Vinny was new to town and he just, Jeff said, Oh man, I'm I'm playing like shit tonight. I'm, I'm I'm so tired. He must have been doing you know four or five sessions a day back then. You know, and and then he said, man, if I was if I was playing like that when I'm tired, I'd be really proud of myself. Something like that. You know? And when I listened to that that track in particular, that whole record there, but you know, even the ones that Rick Marotta played on, um, it's just such a classic time. And and he 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 doesn't sound tired to me. Yeah. <laughs> like right. He was he was just so on fire back then, you know. But, um, and and the maturity of it all. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think that's the thing that mm. that's the thing that gets me the most is the maturity. Yeah, I, mm. at that age, you know, I yeah. can't say I was ever playing anything like that. That mature at that age, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's um, it's like it's built into his system. It just knows, you know. Yeah, and I think that's that's that is it. I think it's just I think he was born like it. that way. Yeah. <laughs> really. Well, <clears throat> makes sense. Yeah. But what a great tempo too. I mean, what a great tempo. Because it would be easy to start dancing around with doing things at that tempo, I think. Yeah. You know? yeah. And he doesn't, you know. Yeah. And plus it's such a, no, such a beautiful tempo to, you know. Yeah. I don't think there's any click back then either. So Yeah, yeah okay. You know, yeah, right. It'll be, be playing live, you know. So. But, yeah, right. you're right. That, that's, that's one that sits right back, eh, especially when they come out, yeah. of, that, come out of that section and he's just back to the dun, 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 dun. You just love to. You love to be in that like room, yeah, yeah. fly on the wall, right yeah. yeah. fly on the wall, and just watch him do that. And you, 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 you know, you can see footage on YouTube when he plays. You know, and he just, I don't know, he just has that. He has like a swagger about him. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that you know, was just, yeah. That's that's one thing I wanted to talk a bit about too. He moved around so much on the stool, didn't he? Yeah, he almost yeah. he almost had this. You see me on the video. Hey. Yeah. He almost had this kind of this uh, swing off his stool, you know. Mm. Um, for me, if I tried to play play that way, by moving my torso around like that, man, I'd be missing drums and cymbals. And I'd do that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, yeah. Um, the 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 I think it gets back to what Carrie's talking about as well. The personality. If you talk a certain way and you are act a certain way, or you're just a, a particular. Um, way of presenting yourself, your, your posture. I, I don't mean necessarily your physical posture, but your posture as a person. You know, mm. that will come through mm. the instrument. It has to. It, it can't yeah. not. You know, that's um, right. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, it's part of the person and it, created. And it did. Yeah. It yeah. did for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So have we? Have we? Have we done all our tracks? Have you done yours, Johnny? Oh, it's just well, like I was saying before, um, but probably with both of them, and actually alludes to what you were talking about with the uh, drum. Um, uh, the programming equipment. That, that, what was that programming equipment you were talking about before that um, that was able Windell, to? Windell. Windell, right, yeah. Um, 
uh, well, just before you were talking about that, I was saying you could probably just listen to the first four bars of each track and just, yeah. it's all in there, you know, you don't need to actually, yeah. I mean, there are sections <laughs> in there that de- climb and descend, you know, yeah. um, hit sections, whatever, but but the the essence of everything is in the first four bars of each of those two tracks, uh, Jojo and Ruby Baby, so... Um, uh, the okay, well, how about we do that? But just before we do that, you, you mentioned Jeff with the whole electronics thing. Now, mm-hmm. I read something again today. It was almost like he was seeing the future <laughs> a little bit. He was talking about his Lynn drum machine when he he really he really like for so, I think some people thought of that kind of technology as going to do a drummer out of work, and but he really embraced it that whole Lynn drum thing. And he he even said in this interview, I hope one day they they um, change it so we can send a time code through a telephone to somebody sitting not at a studio but at a home studio somewhere, and and I can send them something via a time code, and they can put the time code into the Lindrum, and they've got this idea that I sent. So hopefully that's the future. You know, yeah. he was saying this back yeah. in like again. I I can't remember the exact year of that. That um, interview, I think, may have been nineteen eighty three. I think. But yeah, he saw it. Was it the one in nineteen eighty? No, I think you're right. It was the one in eighty three because the one in nineteen eighty eight was the one that had the Ricky Lee Jones story in it. So yeah, 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 I think you're right. Yeah, Yeah. I know the one you took. Yeah. So yeah, he kind of yeah, like I said, he embraced that, and I think he even talked about that in one of those. Was it the Musicians Institute? Have you seen that videos? YouTube clip? Uh, yeah, thing. there's a couple. Oh, and one of them he's t- he talks about, <laughs> yeah. even talks a little bit about the Lindrum machine. He goes, "Yeah, man, I've got one of them in my in my van in my car. You know, he, he takes it everywhere, right. embracing yeah. that te- technology. You know, whereas others were like, fuck, it's doing me out Someone, of work.' A uh, cable player in in uh, LA, he lives in, he's from Canada. Right? He lives in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. A guy called Robbie Buchanan, no relation. And he said the best thing that, that happened when Lynn drum machines came around is that it got rid of all the good drummers and it kept all the great ones. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And yeah. so he said, because there was a whole bunch of drummers that he, he didn't, he had to go to sessions and be working with these guys. He said, and all of a sudden Lynn drum machine came along, Roger, and, and these, you know, and so, but the only drummers that really survived were the really great ones, which yeah. was, you know, yeah, yeah. Jeff's and, mm. and JR's and, and Carlos and whatnot. You know. Yeah. Lots more, I should say. Though. I think it's interesting too. A bit off track here, but the the amount of drummers that seem to have done whole albums as a pair, Jeff and Gad, I think on the Mike McDonald stuff, and then Jero, yep. I think. But yep. yeah, and then Omar and Jeff um, on Die Straits, I know, and then probably some other things as well. But um, then uh, that's, produ- that's producers, though. Producers that they were yeah. they were hip to that stuff back then. Yeah, okay. yeah, right. yeah. yeah. They share records, you know, and they. Jr. said that about John Robinson and uh, sorry, John and Jeff would do records. They yeah, share things together. Yeah. But that was the producer thinking, you know, we should get some different tastes and flavors here. You know, yeah. so, was it was it that, or I want to I want to pay my mates, you know. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm going to throw that out there. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. Look, I've got this budget. I hate, and I hate to think it was that. Yeah, yeah right. But, I mean, it could, have, it could have been. But it was, you know, well, no, I, I, in all seriousness, I actually think it was all about the music. So they, they would think about, um, like, for instance, the guy, there was a really great producer, Richard Perry, and he liked to use J.R. and Jeff. And uh, he, would, he would design his records with, with sort of six tracks, Jeff, six tracks. John Robinson, yeah, right. and um, not not all would make the record. That that yeah. maybe four make of Jeff might right. make it, and, and five of, of, and then there might be a drum machine or something like that. But um, 
that's that's sort of how they thought back then, you know. And I, and but yeah, sharing a record. That's you know that Jero record with Steve Gadd on it with um mm. and Jeff with you know that that the one with Morning on Mornings. it. Morning, yeah, yeah. Know, yeah, so I think it's just called Jero. I think, I think Jero or something. It's called Jero. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that got in this love together yeah. on it? Oh, don't know all the songs, no, but no. oh right. I know, I know. Gad plays on that. There's just that. This is, I mean, it's a Jeff podcast, but I'm going to talk about Gad for a second. Um, yeah, on that particular track, there's this that signature. What is it? The Steve Gad. Yeah, that. What thirty second note? Yeah, thirty second note. Whatever it is. The, the Ricky Lee Jones feel. The Ricky Lee Jones feel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Chucky's in Love, is it? Chucky in Love feel. Yeah, yeah but he does like he yeah. does that in the, I think it's after the solo going into another part. In right, that, okay. In this love together. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, on we go. So there's actually, Jeff does, if you want to, there's a feel somewhere in one of the later tattoo albums where Jeff does something like, might be, might be that instrumental Oh, tune. man. Yes. Um, yes, that was, I was almost going to pick that song today. So, yeah. yeah I'll uh, find I'm going to find Is that. Is that that instrumental in seven or something? No, it's – um. I can't remember. How many times? Oh, yeah, it's after the – And it's after the solo. It's after the – Did I pull that off? What amazed me about Jeff was that most of all how understated he was because that's his personality, I guess. So understated about – uh, and he would always sort of try and I don't know whether he was trying. Maybe he was doing it um, sort of on purpose to r- rein things in. Let's not get too out of control here. Mm. And so, therefore, I never, well, not, not necessarily never, but I, I thought that Jeff sort of um, he never really showed his prowess. He, ne- he never really showed his his full strength, his chops. Yeah. And then every now and again, you'd hear something and you go, "Fuck yeah, wow!" Just, yeah, you know, yes. not, well, you know uh, that that will. I don't know whether you guys have heard that baked potato thing. Yeah. With, um, have you heard that? I mean, I mean, there's some moments in that thing that I just go, Jesus, you know, wow, what the? Yeah, I mean, he was on a record date, so it was a it was a gig, you know. Yeah. But then when I hear Jake to the Bone, mm. and then I hear the end of um, uh, White Sister. Yeah. <laughs> when he does that thing over and over and over, and I think, and he was the guy that just says, "I don't do that shit, man." And then he does this, and you go. You know, we did, there was a whole, probably a whole bunch of the guys that were working with him, they probably know, but there's a whole vocabulary that he had that he sort of kept a secret in some in some sort of crazy way, you know, because he just didn't want to blurt it all out. But, fuck, man, that guy could really, really play. Yeah, yeah. That, that's <laughs> just you know, gonna, I'm just going to... If you just sort of said, play something, you know, you'd stretch out and do it. You know? yeah. I'm going to dial up that film and how many times. Let's just see if I can find it. Oh, this here it comes. I mean, what is that? Where'd that come I from? think it makes it's more powerful than he doesn't do it often because when he does, you go, yeah. you're not ready, and you go, man, right. like, you're, scratch, right. you're scratching your head yeah. going, um, where did that come that's from? Right. That's Actually, right. yeah. and we were talking, sorry, you said that before, I think, Dave, you know, how he he'd anticipates, well, he'd wait to the end and then yeah. play this thing, you know, like on the fade. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's yeah. um that, yeah. that's a similar feel that he does um on um English Eyes. Oh, oh, right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but um, yeah, he, he, let, he waited ten records to pull it out. Yeah, again. that's right. And and and, <laughs> and he showed us when, after he died. Yeah, he's yeah. like, but um, that, that's the maturity again, I think too. And um, yeah. uh, the oh, I remember in that video because I listened to it so many times or watched it. Uh, one of the first things was. Uh, when a new tune comes along as to the vocal part, you know, yep. that was probably the number one thing he's, I think he said he was paying attention to. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, but um, which is, that's, that's that's the key, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. That, absolutely. Yeah. So. so let's hear, like you said, those first little bits of those songs of yours, John. And, oh, okay, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, yeah, we can almost talk about the whole song just based on... Based on yeah. that. Okay, yeah. While we're dialing that up, is it true that he actually, because it sounds like it, he was actually, a, even though he, he's very articulate, he was a hard hitter, wasn't he? Well, that's funny you say that because um, uh, I, I went to a, I don't know whether you guys went to it too, there was a, a, a workshop at the Australian Institute of Music and I got caught on the day. Mark Costa called me and he said, um, David Garfield's doing a, a workshop because he was in town with George Benson. And I don't remember the band necessarily. It was Stanley Banks. Um, I can't remember the drummer's name. Um, but anyway, so uh, and then at the end of it, he, they played some things, and he said, "Any the guys said, you know, any questions?" And I put my hand up, and I just said, "What was it like working with Jeff Beccaro?" And he just said, "He played like John Bonham, but um, in a in a in a in a sort of a um, he played loud, but in a I don't even know, can't remember exactly how he said it, like a a more controlled sort of." Way I don't know that that made it so yeah I I think I think he did play loud but um but he had his own sort of um way of like a control of his sort of power I guess you know even sort of in that control and that art, um being so articulate he um it's sort of you know when like if the tempo starts to really race you so, you lose some of that clarity in your playing. Yep. He, he no, sorry, never, I don't he, know that. No. Well, no, sorry. Well, sorry. You haven't seen my uh, fifth instructional video then. <laughs> that was a joke, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, yeah I just, I've, I've found that it doesn't matter what he plays at what tempo, you can still hear every little nuance in what he does and all the phrasings there. Like, it just it didn't matter. Yeah. Well, the yeah. harbour lights. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the main timekeeper was the... Intricate stuff on the symbols. Yes, That's right. that was yeah. the thread through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the here's the um, first part of JoJo. And he's right back. Hey, There's double on the kick there. Yeah, I'd never heard that little that little rough before. Yeah, well, it is. It's a rough, I think. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd never heard that before. Right. Okay. And, yeah. yeah, but um, we it there's little flickers of bits and pieces. You know that like I, I think I was saying to you guys when we were prepping for this one of the greatest one of there's many I think one of the best and contemporary things and and very hip things that he gave music and and for so many other jobs to copy. Was the jazz cymbal beat on the hi hat with the right amount of swing? Yeah. Um, 
that, that, that's, off, that's off the DVD. That's off the video. Yeah, yeah. He talks about that. Yes, yeah. And you can see him do that. And, and when you see him doing it, yeah, well, you could hear it anyway. Yeah. But when you see him doing that, you go, oh, okay, I can really hear that now. It's yeah. how he articulates that you know the, the it skips right hand, along you know? yeah but but all yeah. but but the um but he mixes in with eights you know there's a, yeah. there's a little snippets you know and yeah. double uh, on the kick the yeah. dotted eight sixteenth leading into the downbeat and all, yeah. on one and that sort of thing so but uh, and i think we were talking before how does he like i, I was i don't know if i can explain this for all but shot, uh, swinging eighths on the hats i mean by definition you probably couldn't do that but somehow and I think I've, I saw Gad do this last year and it fucking blew my mind, like doing a very simple groove in, with eights. I think if you accent the second eighth note and just drag it a little bit, it sort of pushes itself into the yeah, eighth yeah, notes yeah. that are on the quarter notes and that's where the swing might come from, I think. So I'm not, I'm not too sure. I don't know how to explain it. But, I, I yeah. Exactly. But, so it's all going on in there. Yeah. You know? And, and yeah. also one of the things which most, a lot of the tracks have played this evening is... um. How many great snare drum sounds were there oh, no. from that era? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just can't. You, I don't know if you can repeat them. To, it must be tape, must be part of it. And then, but, yeah. but they're just so many. That they, they don't have. They're present, but they don't have an edge. That's yeah. like abrasive or anything. It's yeah. just, and I think Kerry, you got that a lot on your two albums. Both uh, there was this, this nice, warm, wide snare sound that was. Um, uh, I don't know you, how you muffled it or anything, because obviously there must have been some sort of muffling on it, um, I would think, and, and low tuning. Just a couple of, just a couple of moon gels. Moon gels, oh, and tuned down yeah. a little bit. And tuned Perhaps. down, yeah, yeah pretty yeah. low. Yeah. But good engineer, good mic. Yeah. Uh, good mixing. Yeah, It's yeah. really, you know, and yeah. that's all those snare drum sounds of Jeff. Well, yeah, well, there might be a few out there that, that might have been poor engineering, but if you've got a great engineer, man, you know, you're, you're in... You're in heaven because mm. you're just going to sound great. So. See, yeah, Jeff, yeah. Jeff said, I mean, this is back in that early interview, that he usually carried about five snares with him. Okay. And one was a just a standard steel um, five and a half by 14 Ludwig. Yeah. Right. He didn't state that it was a, like a super <laughs> or anything like that. Just The aluminium um, one? Or? He, he, no, he just said a steel, steel oh. snare. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. Um, he had a Rogers snare. used to carry a Brady. Um, and then there was another wood snare, and I can't remember exactly the, the brand of it, and something. Else. And that was kind of his basic, mm. basic sort of arsenal of snare drums, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then he kind of moved to, like, especially past the present, he was using piccolo. Yeah, yeah. you can hear that a lot in the ladies, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. The, and, the, the and it's on Kingdom type. of Desire. You can hear the piccolo. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. like sure. on the video, yeah. I think similar, something similar. Brass. She, know, she knows the devil. That's yeah. a, cranked up piccolo, hey, yeah. Yeah, so it, uh, but it's all in, in the initial bars, I think. It's just, it's just sitting there and then there's permutations as you go through the, through the tune and yep. all that sort of stuff. So, yep. but, but the swing on 8th or 16th is um, to die for. I wonder if that's how he thought, whether he, he kind of he heard time swung. Like, mm. or whether, like, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. Sorry, Kerry, you go. That's, yeah, that's interesting you, you say that because, I wonder if, um, you know, how you can, uh, what, we've all seen, uh, well, hopefully most of us have seen Steve Gadd play. And when, when I've seen Steve Gadd play, or heard Steve Gadd play, I should say, um, I can feel his, um, he's not even, it, it's, I don't think he's even thinking about the subdivisions. They are, they're happening in front, right in front of him. Yeah. And so he might not even be playing them, but I can feel them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I reckon, I think Jeff Picaro did the same thing. He um, 
I mean, sure, you know, you've the ghost notes and 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 the uh, the, uh, the really lovely uh, articulation of the hi hat and opening the hi hats at certain times and things like that and crashing the ride at the right time and hitting the bell and all those things. But I could feel his um, um, subdivisions even without him playing it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I John, hear. John Robinson is the same. Yep. They are exactly the same. He, you can sort of feel them, get, you know, and so you don't actually ever feel like anything's rushing or dragging. It just feels great. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and Jeff had that, you know, there's a couple of videos on, um, on, on YouTube with him playing in the studio and, and sort of rough things. And, and there's one with the group, Greg Fillingains walks past and he's doing a drum check in some, in some room, you know, and I just, you can, I can just sort of, I close my eyes, don't even look at it. I close my eyes, I can, I can, and he's not even playing all those subdivisions, and yet I can, I can feel them. You know, yeah, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah. You know? Present. That's yeah. a real, that's a real natural gift. You know? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe that's why too. We all, we all want that. You know? yeah. yeah, maybe that's can why. I have, can I have some more of that, please? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's why he played so tasteful, though, because it was almost like, um, because you could feel them, it was insinuated. You know, like, yeah, like, so you didn't need to play them because you didn't you, feel, feel them, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can feel them anyway. So you can pull the yeah. notes back, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And I think another thing, too, is that he would he would be so, um, and I, I think I'm correct on this, he would be listening so heavily to what's going on, even in a, in a skeletal environment like piano or Rhodes, bass, guitar, drums, maybe percussion, because they, they, a lot of those guys track percussion at the same time, and they'd, they'd they track things live and they'd, and they'd get a take and he'd be able to go, well, I should be backing off on this because he's playing that and there's going to be a guitar overdub over there, so I won't do this. So he's thinking those things all the time or he'd be tapping on the engineer's shoulder and saying, hey, man, do you want to make sure there's some sort of a gate on the center because I've played too many um, too many ghost notes there. You know, I mean, those sorts of things. Yeah. He, yeah. he, I, I get that he was sort of – that sort of guy. Was yeah, that, that, that's what I was talking about, about Lonely Talk. like a science, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. when I was talking about Lonely Talk. That's that's what I think he was – he was leaving room for Abe and he knew that, that Mike Landau go. was going to open up. So he just – Yeah, yeah. You know? Sort of, yeah, like a, not, not a visionary, but he was he's sort of thinking ahead and he's thinking, I'll stay out of the way of that guy. And when you hear him talk, he's the same sort of yeah. – That's been considered yeah. as a player, actually. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. – uh, uh, Again, Jeff walks in the room and goes, "What the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> what the this shit?" Sorry, Dave. <laughs> hey, can I tell you the story about uh, with Louis yeah. quickly about yeah. Georgie Porgy? Oh I, yes, yes, you mentioned this. I, I to, um, Louis, Louis, when I met him that day. That evening, I should say, um, he said to me, um, "Come over to the studio. I want you to come and play a couple of tracks on, on my record." And I said, "Wow, that's Jesus!" And I walk in and I see all these things of like uh, Ilana Richie's "Hello," and I see Seals and Crofts. Did he play on "Hello"? Did he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Well, no. Oh. Well, he played the guitar solo. Oh, right. You talk about Louis here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Louis. Did. Yeah, Louis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, he played on the first record too, but he played on the Monkeys. Things yeah, and, you uh, told me that. Yeah, sure, and Michael and the Jackson Five things. You know, you, you know, probably know that. Anyway, so I walk in and I see these records on, on the wall, and it was in this little place there in Seaforth, and I went, "What the fuck am I doing here? This is bullshit." Yeah. Around the corner. Said, oh, well, I want to... mm. hey? Sorry, literally around the corner. Like, from... yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I was living in Mossman, and he was, you know, and yeah. he said, come over and have a, you know, he said, play me a couple of tracks. He said, I want to replace this because this, there was a, something that didn't get recorded right, and he couldn't find the, the drummer to come back in. I was, yeah, all right. And so he's played me a couple of things, and I said, wow, this is fucking fantastic. <laughs> and so I went home, and I took the cassette home, cassette, and I learned these things, and I wrote them out, and he rang me and said, oh, we've got to session at festival studios next Wednesday, you cool? And I said, yeah, great. So I said, I'll turn up there at you know, 9 o'clock for a 10 o'clock start, and I'm fucking, I'm so excited. And Louis walks in, and I'm still thinking of Louis Shelton, with, who produced those records, and I'm looking at him like the star, you know, like I was looking at him just before. You know? And we play through the songs, and he says, great, you know, he tells me to do a couple of things. He said, you know, maybe do a symbol overdub here. Don't play this still here because we need this. He was very good with that. He knew exactly what he wanted. So I played these things, played three songs and three tunes. And he said, oh, um, are, you, are you cool to hang around and play another one? And I said, sure, man. And um, he said, well, it's this old Toto thing, Georgie Forgey. Man, I couldn't have fucking run to the drums. <laughs> <laughs> okay, out there like it. And he played, the, he played the thing first, and it had a drum machine pattern. It had a drum machine and a drum machine sort of loop going on. And I said, you're going to keep the loop? And he said, yeah, I think so. And I said, great. Okay, so I, I, he took out the drum machine and I wrote the arrangement out. It was you know, pretty much the same. And I ran out there and I played it down one take and did a cymbal overdub, I think I remember. And, and that was it. And I was like, fuck, man, I played with Louis Shelton. I played with Jeff Agar David Page. And I, just, I, I remember driving home thinking, oh, shoot me now. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Great. And none of those other three tracks made the record. Oh, right. <laughs> oh really? Georgie Boy. Yeah, and, right. and I got the, I got the, you know, copy of the CD. He sent me a copy of the CD, and I said, "Great, I've got four tracks on this record, and none, none of the oh, other right. three were Georgie Boy." He was. And uh, I rang him actually. I think, or I, I saw him somewhere, and I said, "What happened to those other three? So he said, "Man, I recorded like twenty songs, and you know, I didn't need all those. Yeah. I just wanted to have it, you know, yeah. so I could pick and choose." And, yeah. and uh, <laughs> luckily. Have you um have you got a copy of the other ones at all? I've got them on cassette. Yeah, oh, that I played on. Yeah, that you played on. Yeah, yeah. And I played them only about probably about a year ago, just before we, we moved. It. And uh, yeah, they, they they sound good. Yeah, I cool. mean you know I mean I, I can see why they didn't make the record. The, the production was a little bit sort of um, compared to the rest of the track. And Chad Chad Wackerman had played a lot of drums on it, and David Jones played a few things as well. And judging by the way that the record was sort of taking shape, the ones that I'd, it, they wouldn't have worked. But, you know, it would have sounded silly. So, but I'm glad, I'm glad Jersey made it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Now, I saw a documentary, Chicago documentary on Netflix um, or last year or something like that. And there was a, a time there where his name escapes me, but Chicago's original drummer. Danny Serafin. Thank you. Oh yes, yeah. yes. He was he was a bit off, and um, David Foster was producing this particular album and yeah, yeah. called Jeff in to play, and I think Danny Serafin, um, Danny Serafin was in the studio when Jeff walked in and played those tracks. Oh. Now, what would the headspace be? Can you imagine? <laughs> it was actually it was actually the other way around. Can I, can I tell you that? Oh, yeah, please. I know that story. Yeah, well, story. Yeah. I know that story. Um, Danny Serafin had, had taken his wife. Uh, his wife had gone to Hawaii, I think. To, to, she had cancer. So he said, I need to take a couple of weeks off. He said, yeah, no, no, no problem. And then um, when he got back to L.A., Guy called him and said, hey, man, I just said Jeff Picaro's 
in the studio. He's playing on the Chicago record, and he went down, and sure enough, he walked in as Jeff was playing uh, Stay the Night, which is on um, oh, Chicago 17. Right. And the reason they gave him that he really got Jeff because, because he had Simmons drums. It was just a bunch of old, you know, rubbish. Um, but David Foster had sort of hijacked the band by that yeah, yeah, time. He, yeah, wanted, yeah. he wanted everything sort of perfect and, you know, he yeah. wanted his bring in Steve Luger there and bring in yeah. uh, And he Jerry was kind Jerry of Hay building Pete Cetera up to be the solo superstar type, taking him away yeah, from exactly. Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There was a whole sort of, you know, there yeah. was an ulterior motive for sure. Mm-hmm. But, mm. but, um, oh. but that track is great, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. That's good, yeah. Mm. All right, guys. Now, to close this out, let's all um, talk a little bit about would like a closing closing comment on sort of the impact Jeff's had on you and so basically what I want to say is, you know, since the first time I heard of Jeff Bacara, like I said earlier, was the day that he died. Um, and from that moment I kind of started my what I say journey to gathering information and listening to music and and, and figuring out how he plays and um and I think today, after spending this time with you guys and with Louis, it's taking me to another level again where I'm going to be able to search search more places to be able to find more stuff about Jeff Bacara. Um, I think that's that's awesome. Um, he's a massive influence on me as a player. Um, I did go through that whole, tried to mimic him and I, th- I did a gig two weeks ago and I think it was um, – you know the song uh, "Underneath the Radar." You know that song "Underneath the Radar." The, the, the uh-huh. yeah. I did the duck, 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 I did that fill. So that was you know <laughs> Jeff's Jeff's still in my playing. You know double, what I mean? Double paradiddle. Um, yeah, yeah. Duck, 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 duck. Or the two-handed thing. Two-handed thing. It's probably my last gig. Yeah, they not. Yeah, I don't don't know what else really to say. Yeah, like I said, he's had a massive influence on me as a as a player, um, and I look forward to yeah searching more into this incredible musician, not just drummer, but musician. Thank you, Johnny. Actually, I uh, remember as a youngster when I went in um, to a particular drummer's, and I started in '93, and uh, as I was saying before, I got the video on Jeff Bacara just a couple of weeks after I started playing just to get into it. Didn't know anything about him and um, or what uh, music he was involved with or anything like that. I'd obviously told my drum teacher, I said, oh, you know, like this is about fourth or fifth, sixth lesson into, you know, from the very beginning. And I said to my drum teacher, oh, this, I've just been checking out this guy called Jeff Bacara. And uh, my drum teacher <clears throat> got sad quite a, quite quickly and uh, said, oh, Shook his head and said, "He's just passed away recently," and uh, there was a an enormous chasm. I mean, I mean, not even knowing who he was, I just felt sad straight away, and uh, didn't didn't know enough to get emotional about it. But somehow I did get emotional about it. So um, it was it was just like uh, it really f- it's a, f- a moment that flattens you, and uh, uh, which I think adds meaning to the whole thing because um, the doing this podcast. Has able been able us to, uh, well, for myself, I can say, to broaden the spectrum of what we know about Jeff, and and even not just what we've been able to be blessed with, with um, Kerry and <clears throat> Louis, 
because they're quite knowledgeable and and have obviously pl- met and played with with Jeff. But uh, to be able to absorb that and listen to the music and then actually be here with the podcast uh, as as a group has been uh, quite enlightening and uplifting and. Um, yeah, definitely more fuel to be able to. So it's like it's growing. So there's more fuel to be able to carry exactly, on. Yeah, you know. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, so more, more branches now, eh? That's right. There's yeah, actually more than there was wait. yesterday. You yeah, know, exactly. but but also exactly. on top of that, uh, the 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 warm the the uh, prep. The lead the up was great, month, wasn't it? Was all all yeah, that yeah. time during the lead up, not just tonight, but um, yeah. yep. uh, checking out new tracks that that you know carry. Uh, up a few and then we were talking about different tracks so I went and looked at those and and you know you're looking for new music new music to listen to all the time and some tracks that I hadn't heard before because there are a lot of tracks out there oh, man. over a thousand in the thousands perhaps so yep. um so the whole last four or so weeks talking about it um and then getting bits of new bits of information to to, to latch on to and then actually in the last 24 hours, the actual excitement of coming here has actually uh, increased quite a bit. Like I could feel it today. Yeah. You know, it was it was there was a bit of a bit more of a build up today, as opposed to the last couple of weeks uh, to come here and and to be able to share it all and, and actually absorb probably because uh, um, you know uh, obviously not not as knowledgeable as Kerry or, or Louis yeah. on it. and um, to be able to hear everyone's opinions has been great. A blessing and an honour, and, and yeah. uh, thanks, Stevie, for p- putting it on. And it's uh, so it's something for us to actually launch off now because there's yeah. so much more material to to latch onto. Just just on on that, um, if you hadn't haven't listened to to John and I's podcast together, the first time I met John, after he, John came and saw me play a gig, we spent two hours in a car park. Probably mostly talking about Jeff Picaro. Yeah, Ramsgate right? Hotel. Ramsgate think, Hotel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can. Yeah. I still remember the song you were playing when I walked yeah, in. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember a bit about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So. L- listen to that podcast. But anyway, that's that's how we we kind of connected through on, on, through Jeff Picaro. Yeah. So that's a that's kind of a cool thing. So yeah, Dave. A common denominator for a lot of T- lot totally hundred percent. Yeah. Dave. Yeah. Um, thanks, Stevie, for having me along. Um, yeah, Pleasure. like like Johnny said, I've I've been really excited about it. Um, you know the build-up's been really cool. Um, listening over to some of the tracks and you know having having a, a some fresh ears because you sort of think, oh, I'm gonna have to try and articulate why I love this guy. It's not yeah, just yeah. like. And how often did we all change our tracks, right? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like trying to yeah. get the right ones, right. you know. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But um, no, it's it's a it's a really weird thing to have some like he died. What was he? Thirty eight. Thirty eight. Yeah. Thirty yeah. died. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how old I am now. Um, and you've got these dudes show up. <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry, mate. sorry, mate. but you've carry you've, on, you've got on, you've got these on. guys. You know, so many years later, doing a podcast um, about this this guy's life, and you know, it's just such a uh, it's such a trip to think that this this person did so much, um, had so much material, and played so great, and changed so many people's lives, including mine. So the reason why I, I spent so much effort and time on drumming was because of Jeff Picaro. He he was the one that, like, I, you know, my dad was a muso and my brother was was learning music as well and so I was, I was in the environment but really he was the one that lit the spark for me and, you know, he's been dead a long time but the spark's still there. And um, and being a, you know, a, a dad as well, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm interested to see what, it will be or who it will be that will give her that spark and I, I hope 
to God. You know, I, I hope that she gets it. Like I hope she, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is, but um, I hope the spark that Jeff gave me, I hope she even gets half of that and she'll have a great life. So, yeah, um, I think it's very, um, very cool podcast and, you know, speaking to um, Kerry and, and Louie and, and you guys, uh, yeah, just, yeah, um, really, really great topic and good blokes. So thanks, guys. Nice one, Dave. Gary. I can't stop that. He said pretty much uh, what, what I would like to have said um, and um, in the same sort of order, um, except I don't, I don't have kids, but the same order. It's, um, you know, I, I, I felt that spark too. When I, when I, when I first heard Jeff Beccaro, I went, that's how I want to play. I want to play like that. And my brother, I remember my brother saying to me, hey, man, there's more drummers out there than Jeff Beccaro. And I said, yeah, but I love him. He said, "Yeah, me too." But there's more other there's other drummers, you know. So have a look, you know, first, and and I did. But I always went back to Jeff. Just that's where I I don't know. I just felt that um, um, if I wanted to play the rides in a certain way, or the hi hats, or play a groove in a certain tempo, or do things, I'd you know probably manipulate them a little to to my own sort of style, I guess. But essentially, <laughs> I guess. You get to a stage where you stop mimicking, but you you want to mimic them because that's you know. I wanted to dress like him. I wanted to have the, the boots that I saw in the in the in the on the posters, you know, with with, with pearl drums and things like that. You know, I had Pisces six hundred twos. I bought the pearl kit, so I, I went along for the ride. You know, I, I wanted that because I that was my hero. You know, and uh, and so yeah. But I, I'll 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 finish off with um. I had the good fortune of working with a guy called Phil Ramone. I really didn't do much work on this record, but I, I learned a lot from watching him. And he talked about a lot of artists and a lot of musicians. And at the end of the project, I asked him, uh, we're sitting down for a drink, and um, I said, uh, do you mind if I ask a few questions? And he said, sure, I'll go for it. And I asked him a few things, and I said, did you work with Jeff Vaccaro a lot? And he said, yeah, I love working with Jeff. And I saw his name on the track sheet. I knew we were going to have a good day. And that says, that says, volumes because the guy was um you know he was so well respected and that you know the producer who's not even the artist the producer would just know that he could just sort of you know throw his hands up and go wow i don't have to do much today because that guy or those guys in the room are going to do their gig you know and that's jeff Picaro, you know he would he would just be you know he'd, he'd sort of be the artist you know yeah, yeah. amazing amazing artist well gentlemen thank you so much again for today um it was a real trip man um i'm re-inspired um and it's great to talk to you guys again um i had the best time talking to you individually for your podcast and it's great that the, you know the four of us are sitting here now chatting about about the one guy that I think is probably sort of more than likely brought us together in, in some some sense. Um, sure. Um, thank you very much and um, have a lovely day. I'm just trying to think of a Jeff quote or something. But I don't know too many. A long time no groove. Long time no groove. Yeah. What was that one? Was that, or, uh, what was another one? Uh, he said... Uh, because music is not supposed to be like other jive businesses. It's supposed to be music, you know. And if you stay sensitive to it, it'll come back to you tenfold. 
I think.